Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. We're going to get to Revelation 20 in just a moment, but John chapter 12, if you want to click or open your Bibles to that. Uh, If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and you've joined us on a Sunday that we're beginning a brand new series of messages. We're going to, it's called Kingdom Answers to Honest Questions, and all, all five questions will begin with what about? And this series is designed because if you go into the coffee shops, whatever your coffee shop is, if you meet with people and have conversations, you're going to find that today God is on trial, that people are asking good, necessary questions, and my fear is that Christians are afraid to answer them, like we're, like we're fearful that there is no answer, like somebody after 2,000 years is going to develop a question that impugns Christianity so much that we're going to have to go, you're right, it's all a joke. It's not. And so this is not defending God like he needs us to. This is equipping the body of believers to stand up and say, we are unafraid and unashamed of the gospel. It is the hope for all the world. But God is being put on trial in a lot of different ways, and so is Christianity. And so I want this series, uh, myself, Michael DeFazio, Elijah Daly will be the three that will preach over the five weeks. We, We want this series to be about grace and consideration. If I can put it simply, this is not a series that we're right and they're wrong. Those are easy. You come into church, we set up a straw man, we kick him over, we feel real proud of ourselves and we walk out. We've not addressed the real question. So this isn't a we're right and they're wrong. This is a series where with grace and consideration, we want to look at what the Bible has to say. Our first question is this. What about those who cannot believe a good God sends people to hell? It's a question that... This is not a a flawed premise. I get asked this question quite a bit. For people who used to go to church and who no longer go to church, people who would never consider church because of this premise, it's a fair question. And it's one we can't answer. If we trust the authority of scripture and we allow the Bible to speak, we have an answer that we should be unashamed of. And, And the good news is this. When people will say, how can you preach the love of God, the goodness of God and the mercy of God and yet still believe that there is a coming judgment in which some will be sent to eternal punishment. How can you do that? I can't believe in a God like that. So I want to answer that question today. And I need your patience. It's going to take me a while to get there, and it's not because I'm stalling. Because I think some some scriptural evidence has to be presented for us to answer the question without it appearing snarky or dismissive. So respectfully, we want to answer the question. So let's begin on one of your favorite subjects of all time, the final judgment, all right? People, that's the best joke I got all morning. All right. 
It's been said that Benjamin Franklin was the first to say, there are only two things certain in life, death and taxes. Well, I want you to know that you got half of it right. The Bible teaches something very similar, Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. There are only two things certain. Everyone dies, and there will be a judgment of every single person. This is consistent throughout Scripture. So even though I'm giving you one or two tastes of what the Scriptures say, if you are interested, and I don't do this very often, although I should, my email is, can be found on our webpage. It's not screened by anybody, which is dangerous for me to say. So if you got, tell me to stop telling cat jokes, I don't answer those. But if you come back at me and you have a question about verses or more information, we are here together. So I encourage you, if I can answer questions or give you more material, I would love to be able to provide that for you. That's part of our pathway of discipleship. But the, the scriptures are certain on this. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Acts 17, verse 31. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, that man, from the dead. I want to begin to answer this question by telling you this. I believe that the judgment of God, which is clearly found in Scripture, that every single person will stand before God on the day of judgment. I believe that the judgment of God is actually a testimony to his character. And if you look at it, you'll, it'll prove him just rather than cruel. That it will prove that God is as good as we proclaim him to be rather than just arbitrary and mean. So in response to that, about the judgment, every single person will come before the throne of judgment, followers of Jesus and those who are not. Second thing we want to bring up to build our foundation. What about the moment of judgment? The Bible refers to it as a single day. There will be one judgment at one period of time, one day of judgment rather, on one period of time. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God is the judge of all. And there are scripture after scripture after scripture that place God as judge. However, the scriptures also state something interesting. Jesus said in John chapter 5, not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son. So which is it? Is God going to be the judge or is Jesus going to be the judge or are both of them going to be the judge? And, and is that contradictory in scripture? And does that make us flawed and open to more criticism? Let's just simply state what the Bible teaches. God is the judge of all. He has given the right to judge to Jesus based on the cross, the empty tomb, and the ascension. God is not abdicating his responsibility. He has given it according to the scripture to Jesus who will sit in judgment of all. Why? We'll talk about that in just a few moments, but here's a teaser Jesus has earned the right. So, the Bible also teaches me that Jesus first came as a savior and then he came, and then he will come again as a judge. He comes in two different capacities. His role as a savior was to inform us of our condition. Look at the miracles that Jesus performed and you'll realize Jesus is telling us something about ourselves. He's telling us our condition. He healed blindness and deafness and broken bodies. He cast out demons. He oversaw nature. He established his authority to show us our condition. He could do what we could not. We needed rescued. Jesus came as a savior to not only show us we needed rescue, but to rescue us. Second time he comes, he comes as a judge. 
and he will give an accounting to each, or we will give an accounting rather to him for what we did with what he came to bring us. It's pretty clear. He will separate all of mankind into two groups, those that let him save them and those that refuse to let him save them. Now, John chapter 12, verse 48. Jesus will explain this duality of his purposes, savior and judge. He says in verse 48 of John 12, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Jesus said that while walking the earth with the disciples. He was explaining, I am coming in my role as savior. Verse 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. He says, when I come the second time, I have revealed the will of God to you. They have been found in my words. I have brought you words of life. I've brought you living water that will quench your soul. And I will come the second time and you will be judged by my words. Interesting. So what have we learned? There's a day of judgment and Jesus will be the judge. Now, what will the judgment be based on? It's a fair question. So I'm thinking through all the objections to our premise and we ask ourselves the question. So if Jesus comes, there is a day of judgment, Jesus will be the judge, what will he judge us on? What standard will we be held to? Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to, scary words, what they have done. Every single person will be judged on the evidence of their life, what they've done. And all of our works will be judged. Now, I don't know about you, that makes me a little jelly-legged. How about you? Because I know what I've done. And I know what I've done that you don't know that I've done. And if you knew what I've done that you don't know that I've done, you wouldn't let me do this. Okay? So, before I put God on trial... I got to put myself on trial and I can't stand to suggest a loving God cannot punish anyone as a parent. How does that fit? How many times do you punish your children because you love them? How many times do you, do you say no? And do you hold them to account? Do you ask them why they did that? Do you tell them it's wrong? Or as my dad used to say to me a thousand times in my lifetime, Mark, if you keep doing that, you're going to have no friends. It's not cruel. That's fact. He was right, and I still don't have friends. (laughs) When we see what God judges us on, we will realize that his judgments are not arbitrary or cruel. They're actually evidential and just. When we think of the judgment always being negative, it's not always negative. You're created by God to assess, to make judgments. You judge good food versus bad food, good people versus bad people, good things versus bad things. We do it all the time. It's a natural part of the way we're created to know what is good and right and to be led that way. Yes, our consciences can be seared by sin, pressed down and misshapen by sin, but we still know in many, many ways what is good and what is not. So what does it mean to see judgment as not just a negative? Look at it this way. It is an accounting to the giver of life for the life we've been given. And this is where you need to see yourself. If you think that you're created by your own means or that you're supposed to be here and you have a right to be here, you will not see God as the giver of life. If you understand that you're only here by the mercy and goodness of the creator, then you will see God differently. 
I know this is ridiculous because it's about money, so let's use a treasure we care about. So I'm going to look down here and say my friend Krista, and I'm going to say, I gave Krista $10,000 because I love her, and I want to bless her life. I just gave her $10,000 to do with it what she chooses to do with it. And then I find out, Krista wouldn't do this. I'm sorry I put you in the spot. But let's just say she went and she just wasted it selfishly. She spent it on things that were not even good, possibly even unethical. Do I have a right to say to my friend Krista, I'm disappointed in what you did with what I gave you? Or when I gave it to her, did I lose the right to decide if that was, I mean, once I gave it to her, I'm supposed to stand out of it? No, no, I gave it to her for her to use, but to see the way she used it, do I have the right, church, as the giver of the gift, to ask for an accounting of what she did with it? Americans are always like, I don't know. The answer is yes. And the God who gave you life is one day going to ask every single one of us what we did with the life he gave us. He has the right. He's our creator. And I want you to know, Christians, that this is not just about them. This is about us. In fact, whenever Paul talks about the final judgment, he uses the word we. Because remember, the words that we quote Paul are written to Christians not non-Christians. This is why in Romans 14, he says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Does this help make sense of the many parables Jesus told when he said there was a landowner who had some property and he rented it out to some leasers and then he asked them what they did with the land he gave them and he wanted his share because it belonged to him? Does that make more sense now? That Jesus used this common parable to show us that there will be an accounting. The giver of life will ask us what we did with the giver of life. And Krista, I'm 100% sure he'll be pleased with you. Are we good? Okay. All right. So when he's measuring what we did with life, what's he going to measure? I'm glad you asked that because I have an answer. If we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, you think maybe that'll be the standard of which he judges us? By our heart, by our soul, by our actions, and by our thoughts? Because if I had more time, I could take you through your Bible and show you the answer is yes, 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 and yes. The judgment will take, it will encompass every bit of who we are. What we've done and didn't do what we said and didn't say, what we thought and shouldn't have thought. All of those things are gonna present. I get more jellied leg, how about you? And my Bible even says in 2 Chronicles 6.30, he will render to each according to all his ways. Jeremiah 17.10, listen to how similar it sounds to this great command to love the Lord your God with your everything. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Seems like heart, soul, action, and thoughts, doesn't it? That God knows. And it's even put on the secret hidden deeds, both good and bad, the hidden thoughts and motives of our hearts. Quite simply, the standard of assessment will be the revealed will of God. And Jesus said, and those, John chapter uh, 12, those are the words I spoke. Jesus reveals the will of God to us. And God's judgments, Revelation 19, God's judgments are true and righteous. He will judge every single person. Christians will not be judged more lightly and unbelievers will not be judged more harshly. Everyone will be judged on a just standard of what we did with the life we were given. There's a day of judgment. Jesus is a judge and he will judge the heart, soul, action and attitudes of every single person. How are we feeling right now? 
Uh, I need help. How about you? I need a savior. What will happen on the day of judgment? Well, let me clarify something. God will not be sitting at a table with a visor and a monocle looking at sheets and reams of paper. God will not be calculating it out at the the end, go, oh, you got enough. D minus, still didn't pass. It's not going to be that way. The Bible teaches on the moment of our death, our final verdict has been chosen. So God is not looking for information. God in his foreknowledge is 100% accurate. And Jesus teaches us at the point of death, he tells a parable. Now, some will suggest to me that he's not showing us reality. Um, That's okay if if you want to feel that way, but I'll suggest this to you. I I take what he's saying there to give us a picture on purpose because I don't think Jesus would mislead us to teach us truth. So if you take the story of the rich man and Lazarus found in the scriptures, you can deduce from it, I believe, accurately these points. At the point of death, a person saved by faith will enter paradise awaiting their savior. And those who die at the point of death who have rejected Jesus will be in a place of torment awaiting their judge. Now you see why he came in two capacities, right? To those who let him be their savior, upon death you will await your savior. You will still see the day of judgment, but you'll await your savior. And those without Jesus who are not covered by the blood will await the judge. Bible seems to teach this. Now, here's where I got you all messed up. Some of you want to raise your hand and say, yeah, but. Here's the yeah, but. How can we be justified by faith and then be judged by works? Am I changing the gospel? Am I now switching this to say you're going to get into heaven or hell by how good you are? Because the premise of the question of how a good God can send someone to hell is based on this premise that you are good enough to warrant heaven. It's a flawed, flawed concept. Because the truth of the matter, and I don't love this, I don't have joy in this, but if I'm gonna preach the word accurately, I have to say this. There will be some good people outside of God's kingdom and some horrible people inside of it. That makes you satisfied, doesn't it? You see, I believe we've made the case that everyone biblically will stand before God on the day of judgment. Does that negate our faith? Should that cause fear and trepidation in all of us? Well, it depends how you define the concept of works. If works are things you do to earn something, then you've not understood what the Bible means by works. Works are the objective evidence of living faith. Now you say, but wait a second. If I have faith in Jesus, I'm gonna be saved and I don't have to do anything to earn that. You can't earn salvation. It's given and received. But if you think for a moment that faith does not expect actions respondent to faith, you've misunderstood the other half of the gospel message. If I can put it even more simply, let me put it this way. Are you not glad in your soul that Jesus' faith in the plan of God produced the work of the cross? Faith does not preclude us responding. It actually forces us to respond. It's not, works are not a response to the law of God. They're a response to the person of God. The law of God is trying to impress him. The person of God is loving him. So, have we negated faith or can we expect an active response to the gospel grace of Jesus? 
That's what I'm telling you. And I want to show you in Revelation 20 what takes away the rest of that argument. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Revelation 20, verse 11. John, the apostle John, follower of Jesus, was given a vision by God of what God was doing in the world. Now, it's often in your Bible called the Revelation. It's short, too short. Sometimes it's called the Revelation of John, too short. If you remember our series a year ago, it's the Revelation of Jesus. This is what's being revealed. Now, in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, interesting statement, the important and the seemingly unimportant, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So there is one judgment day, but there are two judgments. I want you to see this. The first judgment is by the book, which I think is awesome because the way we use that phrase. God is going to judge us by the books, the evidence. It's gonna be without partiality. It, by the books is simply he's going to look at every deed, every action, every attitude we've ever had, and he is going to assess those for their value, and it's going to require every one of us to stand before him and confront everything, including all of our sins. So I will allow you permission to dismiss the mistakes you made out of ignorance. You didn't know. You didn't understand. You didn't intend to do wrong, but you ended up sinning because of your ignorance, okay? Throw all of those out. Isn't there enough? Evidence in your heart to say, but the moments I told God, no, I told Jesus, I don't care. I did, I went against the grain of the wisdom of scripture. I think every single one of us, and, and even if you're visiting here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand you're in the midst of a group of broken people who have ravished their lives with sinful choices. We're not proud of that. The reason we gather is we know this to be true. And this is why we celebrate Jesus, because he came to show us our condition and to save us from it. So is this the moment that God gets his jollies? Because the world says, is this the moment that God, who could simply say, it doesn't matter, I'm going to let you in. God cannot walk away from his nature. He cannot walk away from his just behavior. He is the creator of all. He has the right to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? And if our answer is, I rejected you and told you you're not enough. I bought the lie of the garden that says, if I eat of the forbidden fruit, I will not die. God cannot simply look at that and be who he is and act like that doesn't matter. So in that moment, is this where God gets his jollies? Dropping the hammer, standing up and saying, I'm the only righteous thing in all of creation. No, it's not God's heart. How do I know that? Because he sent Jesus to die on the cross so you would never face that. It's, it's such a, a much bigger deal to put God on trial. We must first put our own souls on trial because we know when we ask ourselves the question that we have rejected good things in life for selfish reasons. See, I believe that the public examination of every single one of us in the final judgment actually vindicates God rather than impugns him. I think it actually proves his character. You see, the Bible says that no one 
standing before God and the truth. If you had that moment where someone knows your heart really well, maybe your spouse or your best friend or your parents, if you ever had that moment, they walk in the room and you make eye contact with them and you know they know. Have yeah. you had that moment in time where you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not even gonna argue. <laughs> Busted, right? I think when we stand before almighty God on that day, a word will not be exchanged. And here are some words that I promise you will never be exchanged. As one of my Bible college professors said a lifetime ago, he said, no one's gonna go into the final judgment, look God in the face and go, "Uh uh-uh. None of us. In fact, Romans tells us in Romans chapter one, we will be without excuse. Romans chapter three says, every mouth will be closed. It will be a just judgment. Not because God has some unfair standard we didn't know about. We have violated our own hearts, the Bible says. Our own consciences have been pressed down and broken because we know we have rebelled. On a clear day of judgment, the justice of God will be proven and our unrighteousness will be spoken. Well, that's a happy thought, isn't it? So what about this day of judgment? If every Christian and non-Christian stands before God and we're all condemned as guilty, God will be just. But there's a second judgment that takes place on that day. And it comes from the book of life. And there is evidence in this too. On the first judgment, no one is found worthy. And then the Lamb's book of life is opened. And our names are written in the blood of the Lamb. Like on the day of Passover, those that took the Lamb's blood and poured it over the doorposts of their home, the angel of death passed them by. And in the very same way, to a much greater degree, with much more beauty and eloquence, Jesus will have covered over our sins with his blood and the angel of judgment will pass us by. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter the new city of God, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I look at that and I go, but I am impure and I am full of shame and I am a person of deceit and this is not my former life. I struggle every day to remain focused and fight the flesh with the power of the spirit. God has enabled me and empowered me and sometimes I just don't wanna fight. How about you? And I look at this going, how can I enter into heaven? And then I read, but only those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb. You see, those who are saved by grace through faith understand that they know where their redemption comes from. You see, those that stand in the second judgment, it's not on the basis of their works. It's on the works of Jesus. The only saved people will be those covered in the blood. The Bible has clarified it. And we are to live in that hope today. If you make, when people come and say, but I've really had a rough, listen, it's not about I got this gold card and no one can take it from me. It's hold on to the hope of the blood of Jesus Christ. Live under the power and authority of the blood of Jesus Christ and find your life. It's not based on your works. It never has been and it never can be because our works condemn us. All of our works taken in totality were broken. This is why I love a particular verse in 2 Timothy. It was a hymn we used to sing in the church back in the day, and it always fills my heart. 2 Timothy 1.12. Paul says, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know who I have believed in. 
And I know he can take what I've given him and he can protect it and hold on to it for every, and that day is talking about judgment. That he will hold me through the day of judgment when I will stand guilty before the, the throne of God, the just throne of God, and I will be rightfully found guilty, but I will be able to come off of my knees and stand before my savior because his blood wrote my name in his book. So, what are you entrusting to Jesus? Your future, your money, your kids, all those things are good and noble. Don't miss the point. Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Invested in Jesus, trusting in his kingdom because there will be a day of judgment for every person. Jesus will be the judge. He will judge the heart, soul, actions, and attitudes of every single person. Every single one of us will be found guilty of rebellion and deserving of facing the authority of God's just punishment. Yet those who have humbled themselves at the feet, at the mercy of Jesus, will survive the final judgment and stand one day to the praise and glory and honor of the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. That was a long way to get to the question, wasn't it? So how can a loving God send people to hell? because they chose to go. Because God's jollies are not in condemning people to hell. Look at what he did through Jesus. Look at why he sent his son into all the world because God so loved the world. A loving God will give you what you ask for. Stand on your own works, stand on your own merit, stand on your own provision. You can do that, you'll fail. Because you know in your soul of souls that you have violated your own conscience. Nevertheless, the truth of God and the truth of what's best and good for everyone. And so those who refuse to accept the work of Jesus will answer for themselves. But those who fall on their knees before the mercy of Christ will have their, bloods cover, their, their sins covered over by the blood of the lamb and their name written with that blood in the book of life. And when your name is written in the book of life, you can trust the one who wrote it. And this is why we worship him. We're unashamed of God, amen? The world doesn't understand God. Our job is not to just sit back and say they're wrong. Our job is to show them why they're wrong, to introduce them to the God of love and mercy, the God who cares, the God who sent his son to die on the cross that we may not ever face eternal punishment. Those of us whose names are written in the Lamb Book of Life will stand one day to the applause of God because he did what we could not do and he did it when he shouldn't have. But he did it out of love. And those who choose to go their own way, will go not because they're sent there. They'll go because they chose that. And God will be just in letting them go. The integrity of God is founded on the day of judgment in one of many ways. This is the God we worship. There might be some hearing my voice in this room or watching at home who may be thinking, I need to figure this out. That's why we're here. It's not to force you in the corner and say, what are you going to do now? It's actually saying, if your heart is crying out for the mercy and blood of Jesus, I want you to know that we would love to show you what it takes for you to surrender to that. Because we witnessed last week 17 lives surrendering to the blood of the Lamb. What a celebration. And today we'll see one or two more. And maybe you're one who needs to begin the process of taking a knee before the mercy of Jesus Christ while you can, knowing that he is good 
and loving and desires nothing more than you not to face the second judgment without hope. The Lamb's book of life is open and Jesus is the one who places you in it. If we can walk with you this morning in the back of the room are tables that have lamps lit on those. While we sing, while we think, while we share the Lord's Supper, you're free to go to those tables and begin your journey with us. We would love to partner with you in your walk of faith. Let's pray together. Father, heal us in these moments of the dread that comes over our hearts when we, when we actually ask our heart how it's doing, when we think about what we've done and where we've been, why we're there. Father, believer and unbeliever alike in this room sits under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we have not, give, we've not taken the life you gave us and used it well. We've used it for us. Forgive us for that. As we know you will, but teach us how to live forgiven, how to walk by faith. And I pray that if there's anyone hearing my voice this morning who has not received the blood of Jesus, that you would speak to them and call them home to your grace and mercy. Father, you're a good God. We are unashamed of you. You're right, you're just, you're loving and you're forgiving. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.